The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. And welcome to It's a Fandom Thing and our Deadwood discussion. I am joined by Calamity Tanya. I just I <laughs> I just love the cosplay. I think it's amazing. It's incredible. I know probably the hat will be coming off <laughs> at some point, but it's it's really, really cool. So great, great job. Thank you, Tanya, for doing that. I appreciate it. But we are talking about Deadwood tonight. If you don't know what Deadwood is, and if you haven't seen it, we're going to be spoiling things. So if you don't care about spoilers, that's fine. I mean, this show is old. So if you haven't seen it by now, I'm not, <laughs> don't feel bad about spoiling a show that ended in 2006. So, uh, but Deadwood is an American Western television series that aired on HBO. You can still watch it on HBO, of course, from March 21st, 2004 to August 27th, 2006, spanning three seasons and 36 episodes. The series is set in 1870s, in the 1870s, excuse me, in Deadwood, South Dakota, before and after the area's annexation by the Dakota Territory, and charts Deadwood's growth from camp to town. The show was created, produced, and is largely written by David Milch. Deadwood features a large ensemble cast headed by Timothy Oliphant and Ian McShane, playing the real-life Deadwood residents Seth Bullock and Al Swearingen, respectively. Many other historical figures appear as characters, including George Crook, Wyatt Earp, E.B. Farnham, George Hurst, Wild Bill Hillcock, Calamity Jane, also known as Calamity Tanya, (laughs) Soulstar, A.W. Merrick, Jack McCall, and Charlie Utter. The plot lines involving these characters include historical truths as well as substantial fictional elements. Milch did use actual diaries and newspapers from 1870s Deadwood residents as reference points for characters, events, and the look and feel of the show. Uh, there was some controversy with the show with the language because there is tons of cursing. Tanya and I were just talking about that beforehand. <laughs> if you haven't seen this show and you go and watch it, if you don't, if you can't handle cursing it'll probably throw you i'm fine with it but but i forgot how much was in here and just as a little bit of trivia here for that use of profanity and the reason they were criticized is because some people thought it wasn't historically accurate to use so many obscenities because the word fuck is said 43 times in the first hour of the show (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) And it has been reported that the series had a total count of 2,980 
fucks and an average of 1.56 utterances of fuck per minute of footage. <laughs> Thank you for that. I hadn't looked that up. And so I appreciate that very fucking much. Thank you. So if you don't like language, it's time to fuck off. Um, or if you have so yeah, we're it's time to fuck off. It's, right. It's, I mean, you can't it's just I I was making sure, you know, normally I can restrain myself and not swear and I, the hat had to the hat had to fucking go because it doesn't fit with the fucking headphones. So it just I'm trying to rival them for their for their count, but um rewatching this with my with my daughter uh who's uh, 18. So it's not like I'm watching this with a child. We are counting. We have a we have a CS count, and you can probably guess what a CS is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so we can get into that. But I was making sure with you before we jumped on, like, hey, uh, I'm gonna have to swear. Like, it's this is not gonna this is not gonna fucking happen. Um, you know. So yeah, and then I was like, I'm gonna do this costume damn it for the six people that will understand it and in true to be true to the period i have not bathed or shaved in a couple of weeks so i just (laughs) i always think that whenever i'm watching westerns you watch them and you're like oh my gosh can you imagine the smell Mm -hmm. because people maybe bathe like once a year i mean it's like really gross and you think they've had like sex they've uh, every kind of bodily function and they haven't bathed. It's so gross to me. Yeah, I think so. I think they actually. I feel like I, we're gonna start with the filth, which is appropriate. Um, because like one thing that's hard about this costume is even like trying to like make myself look dirty. I yeah. have to. I'm gonna have to distress the clothes a little bit when I get a minute. Um, but I think the costumes for this were so good, so so good in the makeup. And I remember when I and and I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but no, it's fine. When I watched the show, so we're just gonna go for it. This is my favorite show. And I've probably been bothering you to do this for at least a couple of years. And I've rewatched it a couple of times during the pandemic. Uh and it's such a funny show for me to say it's my favorite because it it's not normally a show I would have been particularly grabbed by like I like the West and things like that but it's you know I like aliens and superheroes and fantasy elements Um, but this show is just so well written and so smart at any rate I watched this show first uh, by renting the DVDs from a blockbuster video and that is a very old-fashioned sentence, to borrow John John Mulaney's um, <laughs> phrase. So right in about 2007. So it was not long after it had aired, but I definitely didn't have HBO. And I, my kids were very little at that point. So watching this was probably just like nothing short of shocking in terms of the content and everything. But I remember in one of those DVDs, they had the commentaries like they would do. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that the actors were saying when they came to set, they had a like a filth spray gun. <laughs> they would like, you know, like an airbrush makeup thing, but yeah. they would they would just like basically hit them with this blast of dirt and dust and like all their clothes and they had to to get them to look appropriately nasty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's I think that's awesome. Yeah, because I mean I will say, and we're kind of jumping ahead. We are going to go back to doing the introducing and what we're into right now. We will go, but no, nope. kind of just did that. Um, 
but I will say that, you know, watching this and watching back, you can almost smell this show. <laughs> There's very few shows that are like that, but you can almost smell it. I mean, when I was watching um, the series finale this morning and, you know, just, and I mean, this happens in a couple of other episodes, of course, too, but watching just the mud and the dirt and they're walking around in it. And I'm like, it's just, you can smell it. Just that um, earthy smell mixed with sweat, mixed with blood, mixed with <laughs> everything. So it is a show that's very tactile in that way, I think. And I do agree about the costuming. Yes, 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 I do. And we are going to have trigger warnings in a second here too. But before we get really deep into Deadwood, which we will. So is there anything else you're into right now, Cal- Calamity Tanya? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> yes. Let me think. Um, so I'm, I'm, no. I'm messing. I, well, I've been, I have been hardcore into this. Uh, what am I watching? House of the Dragon, uh, which is. <laughs> We're just going to make that face about it. I don't. I just, I'm like, I want to like it. I do, but it's so weird. I don't know. It's weird. And I say that as a big Game of Thrones fan, except for the last part, which we don't talk about. Yeah, it's it's okay. But I, I have to say I did watch the other fantasy product, the Lord of the Rings prequel, mm-hmm. The Rings of Power, and that is fan-fucking-tastic so far. Like, just, I don't know how much money they spent on that show, but it has to be the highest production I've ever seen like on any TV show, maybe anything like it. The visuals are just, it's worth watching Mm -hmm. it just for that. It's so good. Like in that way. Yeah. And, and someday, you know, going back to the, the game of Thrones thing, someday we will have to cover that show. I've never watched game of Thrones. I've heard all about game of Thrones, but I've never watched game of Thrones. So I know someday we'll have to cover it. It's something that I'm putting off and putting off. Because I'll be frank, I'm not like biting at the bit to watch it kind of thing. It's good. I have to say, like, I, I say that as a, like, I am a, I read the books, like I'm an OG nerd on that show and love the books so much that Arya was on the short list for one of the names of our kids, like, you know, before the show, before all that. And I had seen Deadwood, as I mentioned, and then they announced that HBO was doing Game of Thrones and I was like. Ah, amazing because they're gonna after watching Deadwood I had confidence like okay they're not gonna make this um PG-13 which is what was my fear for Game of in fact they almost went the other way too far when they didn't have to on some of it which is a topic for your for your other other uh (laughs) podcast on that but yeah it just they really did a fantastic job and this this show Deadwood actually I think set the precedent and this came after sopranos so i'm sure Mm -hmm. sopranos which i've not seen because i'm not a big like mafia movie person but i i recognize that that is the the shift in terms of the television kind of zeitgeist and like the direction things went after that point so yeah you had that and you had six feet under of course which we covered last week and and you had on Showtime like Queers Folk and and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and, and then eventually Dexter and and things really pushing them out like cable, and then FX, which Justified, which we will be doing an episode Justified and ju- test not Testified Justified, so you know with Timo as well with the, um, with the real fast uh, costume change to make it fast so fast that it'll make a drag queen envious like whoa how fast. <laughs> <did you? laughs> 
Well, what I'm into is decidedly different, um, but a lot of fun. I went, I'm not going to tell you much about it because you shouldn't know much about it if you haven't seen it, but I went and saw um, the fantastic new horror film, Barbarian. Go see it in the theater. Don't know a lot about it. I don't, don't know, don't seek out a lot about it before you see it. This is one that really, if you feel comfortable going to the theater, is essential to see in a theater with a crowd because this is a journey. If you even the trailer, the little trailer that was out originally does not, you will have no idea what this movie is about by watching the trailer. This movie goes on so many twists and turns and will have you going, What the fuck did I just watch? So it's I loved it though, and it's very funny too. On top mm. of everything, it's absolutely hysterical. Um, there's a lot of not showing of stuff that other horror movies would show that is not necessary to necessarily show. Uh, and last night, Susie and I, because we both just could not get this movie out of our mind and we wanted to have a spoiler filled discussion where we could actually talk about everything that goes on. We did a special live stream last night talking about Barbarian. So go and check that out. The podcast episode of that will drop at some point, not positive when, but it will drop as well. So go check that one out and go watch that in the theaters. And yeah, it's if you're a horror fan, it's a must watch. Okay, well, let's get into something. It's not horror, but there's horrific elements in the show. <laughs> so let's get back to Deadwood. And I'm going to give some trigger warnings. Of course, we already have cursed a lot because, like I said, there is so much cursing in this show. If you are watching this, if you've heard of this show, I really don't think you should be surprised by that. <laughs> but if you haven't, then now you know. Uh, so, of course, there are a lot. Of, there's a lot of misogyny in this show. There is a lot of racism in this show. There's a lot of homophobia in this show. Um, I would say there's a lot of, uh, well, there's a lot of murder. There's a lot of death. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes a cocksucker just needs a good throat cutting. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that's that's kind of like where, not to interrupt you, but I had to go with that. No, it's, um, it fits. Yeah, it's it, fits. it is rough. Like, I, I didn't know if you were going. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> if, if there's anything else you want to add with the trigger warnings, feel free to. But otherwise, yeah. we'll just get into what your overall thoughts are. On, sexual which, violence. Yes, uh, yes yeah, for sure. Warning for sexual violence and, and um, yeah, just about everything that's uncomfortable that you can think about. It's rough. It is a rough show. And that's that's another thing that would make it a little bit like, really? You, you're into this show? Person who likes like Captain America and Marvel? <laughs> that stuff but it's it's just so well done and it's it i don't know it's complex so yeah so that'd be some trigger warnings in the language yeah yeah and i love dark and twisted stuff as everybody knows you know horror is my favorite genre genre so that kind of stuff doesn't bother me at all i mean i'm not saying like it doesn't bother me at all i should i should <laughs> I should clarify there. I'm not saying like it's like oh, Aaron. Aaron God. eats that eats that shit for breakfast. Just, let me tell you. It's just... <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Yeah, I, I'm completely numb to it. Um, no, no, I don't mean it that way. I just mean that um, I like darker stuff. Like when we were doing our sitcoms earlier this year, <laughs> I loved that. But watching eight sitcoms. I was like, oh my gosh, take me back to Ryan Murphy, even though yeah. he's so annoying. 
So, but so I like this show because it is that way. And like I said, it's so tactile. Mm. I like, I, I can't think of many other Westerns that are so tactile and so like visceral that you really do feel like you could smell everything and feel everything and feel on edge all the time. So I know you already gave a little bit of your overall thoughts, Tanya, mm -hmm. but what are your thoughts on the characters in this? Yeah, they, they make this show. I mean, that's for me, like what what is going to set something apart is having characters that both are very, very layered and complicated, but for whom you feel sometimes in spite of yourself, some kind of empathy and you can see their growth. Like I think just about there are some characters that don't grow a lot, but they definitely things happen to them and that's OK. Um, but there are other characters where you're like, wow, they really, their their trajectory is different. And then they do this thing on the show, too, where you end up rooting for the guy who you fucking hate, like, at first, right? You end up kind of rooting for him. And I love that. When a show can pull that on me, it's like, okay, all right, Mr. Milch, you got me. Like, fine, you cocksucker. Anyways, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, just, I can't <laughs> you clever so and so and such and such <laughs> um have you done arrested development yet because i gotta be on no too, no we my, haven't my children call me tobias um and you will know why that's what i the characters are great and i don't think it matters a lot that it's like you had said in your intro there are historical figures and some of the events are historical events but none of us were there and at that so yeah. even the recorded history is quite i'm sure uh skewed or or at least from a particular perspective and so i actually have no issues with that i think it's really good that they didn't sanitize it and it's one of those shows you were saying you could smell it i think that's a wonderful <laughs> like you can smell how dirty i am yeah um <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the the costume, the set design, they did not sanitize this. And I think that that did so much for this show. And and sometimes you're watching a period piece that was maybe filmed now or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And you can kind of see, oh, that's like 1990s hairstyle or makeup or what have you through that. Um, it's the 1990s interpretation of what the 1800s look like or something like that. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. There's probably like a total technical term for that that I don't know. I don't think you see as much of that. There is a little bit of it, but I don't think you see as much of that. And I mean, praise hallelujah for this show for not doing the stupid anach anachronistic thing that bugs the ever living fuck out of me, which I'm going to say is a white wedding dress. They have people get married on this, at least in, I don't, I don't remember the movie off the top of my head if they do it, but they have people, so people get married and they don't wear a white dress. And thank you because they didn't wear white dresses until maybe the early 20th century. And then like, sometimes they'll show women, you know, there's nudity. Um, and as far as I can tell, not that I'm like just staring at boobs, but as far as I can, I mean, you know, boobs are awesome and we all want to look at them. Um, there's not fake boobs. I don't remember looking because sometimes you look and you're like, those are fake boobs, you know, mm -hmm. not not judging you, but 
you wouldn't have had those boobs in that time because they didn't have that yet, right? So, yeah, they're sagging. There's right, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're they're the nipples are different. There's like one's going that way, one's going this yeah. way. Anyway, like <laughs> it's true though, and that's important. And that's I think important. it's good. I'm like, all right, you know. But it's mm-hmm. and then there's characters, female nudity, where they'll have hair, you know, like armpit hair and hair on their body, and it, and it's like okay. You know, that's what would have, what it would have looked like. Maybe. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I think it's, you know, one of the things that's always kind of bothered me about the Western, the Western genre as a whole is the romanticization, romanticizing that they do of that time period, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to like the cowboy and conquering the great West and all that kind of stuff and the outlaw and how, you know, how much we think that's romantic and that that time period was not as gritty as it was. And I'm not saying there aren't Westerns that aren't gritty, but there's always seems to be this undertone of like, there's definitely the good guy, definitely the bad guy. And even if the ones that were saying the good guys weren't actually the good guys, you're going to have to root for them anyway, because yay, America. I mean, that's kind of... (laughs) USA, that's kind of the way they come across sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I don't, that I dislike Westerns because there are quite a few that I actually do like, Mm -hmm. but that aspect of it always bothered me. And I don't think you get that really in this show. Mm -mm. In this show, you are not presented with these people where it's like, you definitely know, you know, that the the good guys are always going to be basically the, the white men and the white men who are doing awful atrocious things but we're going to paint it up as they're not doing atrocious things but you have characters you know you have the sheriff sheriff bullock in the in the first season and everything who you see him beat up a native american man who it's just absolutely vicious mm-hmm. and there's a lot of that not just that scene but there's a lot of viciousness to this that shows how that time period, I believe, from what I've studied and researched, was a lot more closer to this than mm-hmm. a lot of the other stuff we have seen. This, to me, is a lot more accurate. I'm not saying it's completely, but a lot of it is more accurate to that time period because of the fact that there was a lot of like deep-seated hatred and deep-seated racism and deep-seated like violence, just violence, violence, violence. And I think we really like to make that more glamorous than it is. It's like, I mean, you know, Jim Beavers in this show, who mm-hmm. of course played Bobby, most famously for some of us from Supernatural. And I mean, it reminds me of the Supernatural episode where they go <laughs> to the Great West and Dean mm-hmm. is so disappointed because <laughs> when he goes in, he's like, we're going to go get a prostitute. She's going to be, you know, so glamorous yeah. like in the movies and she's not at all. <laughs> I yeah, mean, she's yeah, yeah, she looks yeah, like what someone would have looked like if they did that all day. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's uh, I think it it does it goes a long way in disrupting the mythos of the American West and disrupting, you know, manifest destiny and all that fucking garbage. Um and I'm I'm saying that snark very much intended. So I think that was the point in a lot of ways was to was yes, they leaned into this stuff that's very uncomfortable as a viewer now. It's that it's hard to watch some of this. It is hard to hear them using, I will say cocksucker, I will say F word, 
I will not say some of the other words, of course, that no. they use on this show. Uh, and I'm wondering what that was like, even behind the scenes for the actors, because I think even now you would probably tone that down or out, um, which would be appropriate. But I guess what I'm saying is they don't shy away from showing that even people you're supposed to root for were hella problematic, did really horrible things. Um, you have to remember, and they touch on this a bit, but we, our country had just gotten out of the Civil War. People are traumatized as hell and carrying that trauma around. This is a time when people lost their spouses. They lost their kids just because of the lack of like proper medical care. Um, a lot of men had died or, or lost limbs and things because of the Civil War. Then you have people going out to this frontier trying to kind of rebrand themselves. And for me, this show is, <laughs> this is the sociologist talking. It's really about society. It's about trying to figure out how is it that we can create enough of a sphere that people can function in and get things done that they want to get done, but that does not feel like an infringement on what they want to accomplish. And that's a, so it's a very much at its heart a question of structure versus agency and also, which is central to social, and also um, chaos. Like, why do we not just descend into a war of all against all? Well, because it's not in the interest of the people that have are in power. And then you see that evolve through the show. So, of course, I like it on a deeper reflection. Like, oh, it's really not about cowboys being assholes. It's about... Uh, yeah, other much more complicated conversations. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, the creator did say a lot of the issues were, you know, that that although the series does touch on a variety of issues like race and prostitution and misogyny, violence, politics, and immigration, and when you were saying chaos, it made me reminded me of this, and most of the major storylines are grounded in the issue of bringing order from that chaos, and when you're, you know, war is very traumatic, any war. And especially back then, and back then you didn't have, you know, a lot of the luxuries that we have now. And you also didn't have a lot of people thinking, you know, about therapy or about helping you with your mental health. And when you're dealing with PTSD and you don't realize that's what you're dealing with, you also will get a lot of this too. And trying to bring order from that chaos that you're dealing with as well, like the chaos of the mind too. Mm -hmm. So you've got that on top of it all. And, you know, you've got, like you said, tons of illnesses, which they talk about in here. And then you also have drug addiction. You have major, mm -hmm. which another trigger warning for that major drug addiction, you know, got, you've got the laudlum, which is the big thing that people used back then and alcoholism too. Mm -hmm. And alcohol back then was not the alcohol that we know today. It was a lot, I, I think it was a lot like stronger or a lot like, I'm not, positive but but yeah wasn't it i mean it wasn't like you didn't get like you didn't get like uh margaritas or mojitos <laughs> you had like whiskey but yeah. it was very different than like the whiskey yeah. you know now so. i don't you know i'm not i i think you're right i that is not something i'm that well versed on but i i definitely you know it it was now it, it's probably the difference between like a cigarette and a cigarette with a filter like yes, where exactly not neither one are good in you know in general for you to consume or healthy but um the filter is gonna like help so, like i'm guessing people got botulism and all kinds of garbage and just yeah. sick from drinking um but yeah the drug addiction is fascinating the there is i 
I think this show is feminist in a lot of ways that is hard to say when in the first episode you've got a pimp basically, you know, beating a prostitute, right? Like as, which is really rough. Like it's hard. I I can't, it's really hard for me to handle violence against women that is like that. But I say, I'm going to make that argument that it's feminist in a way because it's showing you like how limited options were for women. And then in some ways the prostitutes almost had more freedom <laughs> than women of a certain class background. You see that contrast quite a bit. Um, and then even when women get some power, I'm um, thinking of Alma Garrett, she has some power. She immediately becomes a target. Immediately it puts her in danger. She can't really do much outside of these certain confines of what's expected of her. Yeah. So it's, and I think I can actually do your six degrees of what's his name later. Same. So even though I don't know him and I don't watch anything with him, I'm pretty sure I can do it. So I'm ready for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I agree on the feminist thing. I think, you know, I think there is kind of a myth that you can't, that something can't be feminist if it has, shows any kind of violence against women. I think it's the way it's handled and the way it's shown. I think this is showing something that's very true and accurate, but all the women in here, I think what makes this feminist and makes it more like the misogyny is coming from the characters. It's not coming from the writing. It's not coming from the people creating the show. Mm -hmm. It's coming from the characters. And that's the essential difference there because mm -hmm. you could have it coming from the writers and the directors, which would be more like if you did have like, we're going to make sure everybody's body is pristine and the way we're going to show it in the camera is going to be very much from that male gaze. And I'm not saying there isn't some male gaze in this because there definitely is. But there's a difference there. It's like basically what this is showing is this is how horrible women were treated. And then some women that you might have thought wouldn't have the same amount of power, like prostitutes and people running brothels and stuff like that, working in brothels, had a little bit more control of their body in a way than women that might have been like thought of as the better class or classier, quote unquote, for a lack of a better word, women. Mm -hmm. And so you see that, and that's an interesting contrast to see. And so, but the violence against women just shows more the fact, uh, just shows what misogyny really is. And so shining a light on that and showing the truth and the brutality of it and the sickening side of it, I think in some ways makes a show feminist in a way. It makes, mm -hmm. just because it's actually being honest and true about it. It's, and it's not saying here's a white knight to come and save all the women either. And I think that's also an important side of it. So that's mm -hmm. so that's how I can see that it is that way. I don't, you know, I think that is just such a myth that you have to have a show has to be like totally nonviolent to be feminist. I don't think that's accurate at all. I think it's the way you do the violence and the way and the purpose behind it. If it's right. to get off on the violence against the against women, then that's a totally different thing. But if it's to actually be real and show it in order to say, hey, this is our reality that is still around today, because I think that's also a comment on today in some respects, then I think that's doing that's serving a different purpose. So, yeah, I think that I agree. I mean, it's it is. And that's where Game of Thrones missed for me, that where they made it more 
uh, violent than it had to be or more gratuitous than it needed to be. And you didn't need to do that to get the point across. There's very few scenes in this that in this show, Deadwood, where I feel like that didn't have to be there. Like there's everything, just about every scene is serving a purpose. And there's also a little bit of like, at some point in the first season, Bullock just takes his shirt off and I'm like, no, you know, that doesn't like, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that would have happened. So not that, not that, uh, you know, not that it's horrible to look at or something, but it's like, I just don't think that would have been a thing that, that, that felt a little bit gratuitous for, for other reasons, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, the show's not perfect. No, I mean, there's very few shows that are that, you know, and they'll stumble in, in some of those areas. Yeah. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. We have talked a little bit already about the treatment of women and sex sex workers a little Mm -hmm. bit, but I wanted to dive a little bit more into the sex worker side of it because, you know, that's something that today still you know, sex workers are excluded a lot from feminism, sadly, and a lot of feminists look down on sex workers today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about that before. And so I want to know, how do you think the show treated that? How do you think they had respect? I'm not talking about the characters necessarily, but the show in general, how they treated sex work and sex workers in general. Yeah, I think that they, you know, I, I guess this is going to be more from my my layperson perspective, but I, I felt that they did a pretty good job with it. Like all of just about all of the girls are or the prostitutes are characters like there there's there are some that are not. OK, you got your main characters, right? Then mm-hmm. and kind of your ensemble team that we follow their stories. Um, and then you've kind of got your next tier where they're recurring and they matter, but they're just less developed because you don't have time to focus on them. But even those stuff is going on for them or there's more of a commentary or they're shown being good or bad or otherwise they're just shown being humans, right? They're, they're not tokenized and they're not just victims. Um, there's a scene where this is really tough. Like disability is another one that is interesting in this show and, and becoming injured. The Reverend, right. Has this tumor happening. And at one point the prostitutes are like making fun of him. Uh, and the doc says, (laughs) the doc is like, who's we didn't get into characters yet is like you laugh when you when you laugh you leak piss like to kind of shut her up and put her in her place because she's you know being horrible and i'm not the reason i say that is significant is we're not just demonizing these people but we can show they can be shitty just like everybody else and we can also show they can be amazing like Trixie right and Joni mm-hmm. another another character who have kind of hearts of gold in their own ways and are just as smart and just as like interesting and layered and have their own motivations for doing things as the male characters and are arguably more interesting than Alma. Right. <laughs> I think anyway, I agree. No, I and, agree. <laughs> and have, and have more to do and, and more like nuance. And, no and offense Alma, to Alma, but no, she's, I mean, I like her. She's, 
she has issues as well, right? Like, so it's um, every, I, I think that's really positive that they show that even, um, even people who have to kind of be put in this position to, to be what we would consider to be quite low status and to kind of be abused, um, have some sort of way that they can have agency or autonomy or individualism there's a resistance. And so I like that that subtext in the whole show that everybody's in various stages of kind of getting fucked or getting fucked over or fucking somebody over. And the metaphor there goes for all those main characters and also this territory. They At one point, they don't know which state is going to like absorb them and which whose claims are going to be made invalid. Like you've been working this gold claim. You're supposed to have this land that you stole from Native Americans and that's the whole thing, which is shitty. Okay. But then you're like, oh, if Montana takes over this state, we're, I have nothing, you know, and everything that I've, and so I think that showing just how constrained everybody is and how you try to work it within your little niche is still important. And then I think I've read this before and I did not have time to look this up. So forgive me, but I think prostitutes were actually not considered to be they they were they had more status in the West than I think we we would have thought. Like yeah. there were just no women. <laughs> like, and um, I think that they were considered an important part of communities from from things that I've read at various times. So I I think that they do show that like there's people who don't they don't treat them they don't treat them as the same level, but they don't treat them as second class or third class or fourth classes they treat other groups like the chinese and the other groups that they're around yeah they're not just pretty wallpaper or you know like holes for sorry to be so graphic there but that's i mean they're not treated exactly like that i'm not i mean because there is some really icky behavior that does happen but I think, you know, the, the issue with the way that media portrays anything having to do with sex work is, you know, there are a lot of harmful tropes. You do have the hooker with the heart of gold or the person who finds a John that ends up saving them from this life or they're definitely drug addicts or they're definitely like they're stupid or they don't have any agency. And I think what you said, the most important thing was they are given full characters a lot of them are their characters and they actually have a backstory they actually have a story they actually have more to do than just to serve the man they're not just there to prop the man up they're not just there for the man and i'm not talking about just sexually but they're not just there in service of the male characters they are there to actually have their storyline too and that is very rare for women in general in media. It still is rare, sadly, especially in a genre like a Western. In a Western, usually the, you don't have that. You might have like one or two female characters that maybe get a little bit more to do than just be there to hook up with the the cowboy as he's running or the, you know, the outlaw as he's running from the law. Mm -hmm. But that's usually what you get. Mm -hmm. And so to have female characters that are not just the wives that are getting this treatment or not just the, you know, partners or anything like that, that they are actually the sex workers to see that I think mm -hmm. is, is pretty remarkable. And to see that they have many dimensions and they're not all 
good and they're not all bad and they're not all, you know, that they're human beings. That's the big thing. They're actually human beings. Shocker. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that with the characters that were the prostitutes, that they did show that. Um, and, you know, I mean, they, they do show graphic sex scenes. They do show sex scenes in here that I think, you know, aren't always about the titillation part of it. Um, more of the, cause a lot of times, like I said, you can smell the show. <laughs> a lot of times I'm like, ew, that doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's actually fascinating. I think that's a great point. How unsexy a lot of the sex is in this show. And it's, it is very much portrayed like scratching an itch, like for these, these folks are getting drunk or, you know, it, it is a, <laughs> for lack of a better word, therapy or stress relief, or this is how they treat it. Um, but yeah, when I, I guess when I said heart of gold, I wasn't trying to go into that. Oh, trope. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to be clear. I know like, I was saying. like, oh, wait, that's problem too. But yes, they're very layered. And like, even I think you do see with Trixie, she ends up having a love interest and, and that is, that evolves over the course of the show. Um, but she continues to be a sex worker for, I assume, quite a bit of that initial part of that relationship. And then how she draws boundaries around um, what is her sex work and what is not. Like what's her private life and what's her sex work and what's her relationship with her pimp. That's all very, very complicated and messy like you'd imagine it would be. Yeah. Um, but it's they do take some time to show how she is put in that position through those relationships. And it's kind of shitty. And also she does the best she can with it a little bit to try to have some choice over stuff that's going on yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well let's talk about the male characters i want to talk about the male characters no they don't matter they don't matter matter. never mind so next (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's that's fair fine Uh, sausage fest time i guess all right Um, time to get to the sausage um what are your overall thoughts on the male characters in here and i mean i i don't know there's a do you have a favorite in the male characters i should have asked that for a female too tough 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 well jane's my favorite character i mean that's just (laughs) and she's so like not feminine and not you know in such a a mess like also this is this historic figure and they are absolutely showing her just be a a human disaster sorry i know you talked about men and we'll go there no i asked you we'll get but it's fine fine. because because she can still be an important character yeah she's still useful and helpful and like saves people and ends up being a pretty good nurse and ends up like helping other people and etc and is like a like slowly losing her battle with alcoholism and depression and everything else that's going on for these folks. So favorite female characters, Jane, the male characters, it's really tough because I think um, I'm going to have, boy, that's a tough one. They're all good. I think in a lot of ways, but it's hard to beat Al as a character. It's just, he's so complicated and complex and you like i said if anybody can pull that switcheroo bullshit on me where i go from being like that is i hate that person i don't like them and then i'd be like i get it like i don't i don't i don't sanction i don't sanction what you do but i 
I see how you're not the most evil person in this uh, grid of characters. So Al is a great character because he's, you get insight into him and he's really trying to, he comes off as an extremely self-interested prick, like an asshole just wants to make money, just wants to get laid, wants the power. But slowly the curtain is peeled back on, on this person where you realize a lot of his motivation is about securing the camp and the society. Like he's essentially the government, like without like the unofficial person in charge, it's this gangster guy. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And his, he's really looking out for people and you don't see that right away. Not that he'll hesitate to kill someone who's not convenient, but it is, it is very much that, kind of um I want to maintain control. He can think he's thinking like four chess moves ahead. If I do this, this person will do this and this will be shitty for all this these reasons. Um and you slowly get to see that. And then you also know he is has his own trauma and his own issues. Like he has health issues that happen throughout the series. Um he was uh, basically they imply he was a made to be a, a prostitute as a child. Um, he was abused, sexually abused. They show that and that, yeah. And those repercussions kind of come back and again and again, and that as rough as he is with the women, he's actually trying to protect them in his own, <laughs> not always uh, great way. Um, and then even jewel, the character that uh, has a uh, disability he's horrible. And you're like, this is, you're really an asshole, but it's, he hired her to protect her and give her something to do. So she didn't end up destitute and, or having to be a prostitute. Um, anyway, it's just, yeah. That, so that it's hard to beat that character. So male characters, I love Charlie Utter and the doc. Um, if I have to pick a favorite, it's probably a tie between the doc and Charlie and Ellsworth. Ellsworth, Jim Beaver. I actually liked Jim Beaver before Supernatural because of Deadwood. And I think I had seen Justified before I watched Supernatural. So I want to, and I haven't done this, but I want to get a t-shirt that it's like the roll call thing, but it's all his characters like Ellsworth (laughs) and uh, Shelby and, you know, Bobby Singer and Bobby Singer because he's Bobby Singer and the boys too. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to get that made and wear it to like, I've, I've had an auto from him and he's also just a lovely, lovely human. Um, and funny and, you know, good for other reasons. But uh, yeah, so I'm the common denominator and stuff I like tends to be Jim Beaver. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's amazing and he's um, he's really good. And he's he's kind of got the, the face and the build for Westerns. I mean, mm-hmm. he just does. He's just from fits him. Wyoming. I think he grew up in yeah. Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, exactly. You're like, okay. This is, yeah, so those, and yes, but Doc is a wonderful character, and I looked up how many awards this show won. It should have won more. It just. I know. I was, I was shocked when I looked that up to refresh my memory. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, only won like one Golden Globe and like, I think it was like 13 Emmys or something. It didn't. I don't know if it even won Emmys for acting. Like it, I don't remember if Ian McShane, I know. Uh, the Robin Wright who played Calamity Jane was nominated. Several people were nominated. I don't know if they won though. And I'm like, come on. I don't remember what beat them, but no, 
this show is another level. <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't win any for the acting. It was a lot more for like costume design mm -hmm. stuff, like more like behind the scenes stuff. Um, and I'm trying to see if, if, um, cause I mean, talking about, about Al, you've got Ian McShane's performance is what I think a lot of people remember from this show, even if you don't remember anything else, because it is one of those, uh, very memorable chew the scenery. And I mean that in a good way. I don't, you know, sometimes that can be a bad thing, but it is a chew the scenery kind of performance and role. And I think even though the writing is great and the directing is great, I think Ian kind of elevates it even more and makes it so that even though sometimes it's very hard to watch this character and the awful things that sometimes he can do, but that performance gives so many levels and so much nuance sometimes to this character that you aren't just seeing the bad stuff. You do see that a lot of the bad stuff is a way to cover up all the pain mm -hmm. and all the abuse that this person endured when they were young. So I think that's in there. Like we always talk about eye acting. You see the character in the eyes here. There is mm -hmm. no moment of acting. Even though there's chewing the scenery, that doesn't mean that that's acting. It just means that this character is a character that would chew the scenery. This is a louder bigger than life kind of character, very loud and not just invocal, but just loud there. You just, you sense his presence in mm -hmm. everything, even if he's not in the scene. I mean, I, I know the series was canceled and I know people were very upset. It wasn't renewed, but you do have the final shot in the series. I'm going to talk about the movie, but in the series, and it is just him cleaning up blood. And even that is powerful in a lot of respects too. Mm -hmm. so very hard to ignore that character it'd be very hard to be like ah whatever he's just an he's just an ass and there's nothing else to mm -hmm. him and i think a lot of that is the performance i mean it's the writing but a lot of that is the performance yeah really really great performance agreed it's i mean the fact that he didn't win an emmy i is just it's a crime like it, it just it would not have been my, it would not be my favorite show without that. And the way that you, I, I like that description of the acting and you're never, he's never not in character. You don't see no. it. There's never like a, I'm seeing the guy. Nope. I'm seeing the character because I've seen him in other stuff and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You really, and you're right. That presence is very larger than life. It's a very, if he's in the room, that guy, if he's in the room, he's in the room and you know it and he's in charge and the power and him kind of, embodying that in everything the whole bit about standing out on the balcony and drinking his coffee and yelling at people <laughs> like yes oh the cleaning up the blood um metaphor for this person who's willing to do the uncomfortable unseemly things for what he perceives to be the best interest of other communities or groups like that's a continued theme for al throughout the and you really start to see this when you have tolliver who's just a complete asshole and played very well by powers booth but you hate that guy like i you're mm -hmm. like that guy's slimy i hate him he's awful and you see his interactions with Joni as kind of a mirror for al and trixie and realize like okay this this is indeed different this is indeed a different person with different set of motivations um but even tolliver is 
working out his pathos. He's just more violent and shitty about it in his interactions with other people. But often he's like working it out out loud <laughs> at people and it's yeah. uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. And then you've got Hearst, of course, who is the worst. Hearst is the worst. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's why he's named yeah. Hearst. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And I mean, Gerald McRaney is a wonderful actor and like fantastic. And I liked him from Simon and Simon. Jesus, that's showing you how old I am. You know, I loved that show as a kid for some reason. I couldn't tell you what it too. I, yeah, I just remember being like, haha, Simon and Simon, right? And then he shows up in this and you're like, I, I want you to fall off a cliff. Like I just, whoopsie. <laughs> It's Oops. true. That's, oh, that's he, slipped. Oops. Oops, he slipped. Oops, he slipped. <laughs> yeah, he's just, and then you kind of see like how, um, how the different kinds of evil, I guess, or it's kind of like almost, uh, you know, I should do the grid, the the D and D grid with those characters because it, it would be interesting. But yeah, sorry, other male characters. No, that's. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, and and you know Brad Dourif who plays Doc, I we're, I'm gonna be guesting on um shout out to my podcast Brain Twin Jen from my streaming bubble. We're gonna be covering one of my all time favorite movies, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. And so I, you know, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't around with that. I didn't see the movie when it was originally. I did. <laughs> you know, I have a funny story. I did, and did? I'm the same age as you. I'm like what like a month older than you oh boy no no we have we're both sages and we're both in yeah. november so I've, i'm like oh really oh okay i'm like a couple of days older than you maybe um 26. i'm november 29th 26 yeah, so you're three so speaking <laughs> from wisdom and experience speaking from wisdom of having three days of crap in my pants more than you did on this planet spinning around the sun <laughs> No, um, my mom told me that they wanted to see this movie so bad that they took me as a baby, like a two-month-old baby, oh to gosh. go see One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I can say that I saw it in the theater. And then, of course, many years later as an adult, I saw it. But apparently I shit myself, which is what babies do. And my mom missed a whole bunch of the movie because, yeah. That's so funny. That's what you get for trying to take me. So anyway, you had a different story. <laughs> well, I'm just going to – so – I have a special place in my heart for Brad Dourif because of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and because of his performance and the character in that. Um, and so I always love watching him and he's always good. And he always, he has a way of bringing, he can be, um, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? He has a way of bringing this sensitivity to every character he plays. Like this innocence is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Like this. Um, childlike innocence even it's so interesting to watch him because even you know he's a lot older in this of course than cuckoo's nest and so watching him and watching his face and watching just the way he stands the way he holds himself he has a tendency to do that so i'm always kind of drawn to his characters i don't know if that makes sense but it's like this kind of i mean it doesn't even matter if he's playing a bad guy or a good guy he always has a little bit of that innocence to him and that childlike wonder it's really mm -hmm. uh, quite a skill that brad has as an actor to bring that to characters which makes you like the character even if it's a character that you wouldn't normally like or it makes you drawn to the character mm -hmm. and i think you know this show is filled with so many spectacular performances and both male and female performances 
and so many complex characters that you know it's it's hard to really choose a favorite mm-hmm. you can like something about each one i think even if they're evil you can still say a bad care bad person is your favorite character it doesn't mean you like what they do it just mm-hmm. means you like the character it's an interesting character to watch and i think that's the case for everybody mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah all is an interesting character to watch i mean every single character in here has something about them that brings some kind mm-hmm. of interest to you i oh, mean yeah. i'm talking about the majority of the main like heart mm-hmm. of the cast here yeah they're fantastic yeah. no it every there is that's the thing about shows for me that really get me is when there's there's like not a weak link on that team and and tim timothy oliphant is great but that character is somewhat limited like he doesn't even have he's kind of like he's very very good at what he's doing but he doesn't fundamentally have that much to do and there's a lot of other it's weird because that's like the main character but his dynamic with al is probably the the interactions you get between characters is probably also its own sort of dimension or unit of analysis to sort of focus on as we i'm pulling out my academic terms (laughs) i gave the same lecture like four times the other day so it's if i just start going into that we'll know why um but yeah it's (laughs) So those are those little interactions though are great. Charlie Otter, he is fantastic. Like his relationship with Joni and some of the weird, like not weird, but unusual pairings that you get between people where they have a little bit of a friendship or a camaraderie with one another. Um, oh, I wanted to shout out for E.B. Farnham, who is slime. Like you can feel, you talked about smelling the show. You can feel the slime come. You can feel you, just that guy shows up you can feel oily like <laughs> you just feel dirty he's the mayor right or the hotelier and he's just gross yeah, and he's playing played so well by sanderson i forget his first name oh yeah william sanderson um, yeah william sanderson is yeah he's and he's interesting been in all kinds of stuff right like and i remember one of the things he was in was like a horrible racist truck driver or like like some very b-movie horror kind of stuff am i right you know more about yeah that than he's I do. done he's done a lot of stuff like that he does a, i mean he like kind of shows up i mean he was in I mean, of course he was in true blood yes and... he was good in that as that character yeah mm-hmm. i mean he's been around forever i'm trying to find the exact the one that you're probably thinking of um because i'm looking him up but yeah will he's like this he's just you see him and you know who he is he's like an amazing character actor i mean he really mm-hmm. is a character actor and he does that slime thing that you're talking about <laughs> yeah. he does that so well I mean, like, it's he like really if, does it's like if you have the ectoplasm thing from ghostbusters you just be <laughs> mopping it up and he's around like that's how slimy this this guy is this character but him and even um i love this picture like, like something really gross but yeah oh yeah no it's this guy is if he's a he leaves like a snail trail like where he and i don't mean that sorry that's not really i know that's used in a different context see that's why no, I but i know i know what you're talking bias, about um, that by little, my children like, yeah the little slime thing that runs and kind of, yes yeah. i know what you're talking about because it's but true his, even his interactions with Richardson, the, the the weird guy that like starts to carry around the antlers. Yes. <laughs> Just, and this show is so we didn't talk about this yet, but it's it's so funny randomly. It'll they'll just be like throwaway humor, like something, something, something joke, and it's just like 
completely out of nowhere. So the writing is, is I know we didn't, we could be here, we could be here all day, but the writing of this show is phenomenal. It is like the reason you can put up with the swearing is it's like Shakespearean. And I know, I know I'm not, I don't know enough about Shakespeare to like have thought of this myself. I read this somewhere or I got this somewhere, but I want to say a shout out for the dialogue. The performances are fantastic, but the dialogue is written in such a way that you have got double, triple, quadruple entendres. It's like a very, very good rapper where they've got like four different references happening in their in their bars. I'm not that cool. This is my my child telling me this and explaining <laughs> it to me. Okay. So just but but I can recognize it in this show. They'll be and re-watching it. I'm older now. So I have the the like this closed captions on, on the I bottom. do that too now. And then also so I don't have the volume turned up to eleven when people are saying cocksucker every three seconds. <laughs> um so yes. Um but anyway, that gives me another chance to like read the dialogue and catch some of those um double triple quadruple meanings that I wouldn't have got. So that's like Shakespeare, right? Where there's like layer, 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 layer. There's references to past things and other things that are happening, euphemisms. And then I, if I remember right, I read or heard somewhere that the dialogue has the meter of Shakespeare at times. It does. It okay. really does. I mean, it's very, speaking as someone who's theater. There and you go. It is, but yeah, it's very, very Shakespeare. This is very Shakespeare. That's the perfect way to describe it because it does, and it does come off as Shakespearean in the dialogue and um, meters and the way it's, the way it's, the, the way that dialogue plays off of other dialogue and the meatiness of the dialogue is very much in the realm of Shakespeare. It's like taking Shakespeare and putting Shakespeare in the West, mm -hmm. you know, and in a Western, it's very much like that. It's, I could see this on a stage, honestly, and as theater too. So absolutely. The, especially the first um, episode, the first few episodes where it's like the, it's very set piece looking. Um, mm -hmm. And the first pilot rewatching and I'm like, Ooh, this looks really 2000. Like, and then they, the lighting is funky. Uh, something about the lighting bugged the shit out of me rewatching it and then they get over that thank god and then they're like outside and there's natural light but they'll have um they'll do lighting and game of thrones was good with this too where uh you you know they didn't have electricity so you've got a lantern and so you know they try to replicate that within reason when it matters yeah but yeah shakespeare is the perfect way and and a lot of these actors you can tell are also stage actors too um, and you can see that in some of some of the performances, but yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, we decided to do this and justified as also, I decided to do them back to back as a way also to celebrate Timothy Elephant <laughs> because I love, I love Timo. I really, I, not just because he's absolutely gorgeous, but because he's such a complex actor but I think this is a character that does, and this is nothing against the acting and it's nothing against the writing, but it is a character that doesn't have as much to do as the others and kind of gets overshadowed in a way. And so your attention isn't always drawn to him, even though he's the main character, it's more drawn to the other 
characters in it. And I think, I think that's just kind of natural when you have a, a character like, like his, like Seth, mm-hmm. it's just kind of natural that you might get, be drawn to the other ones because mm-hmm. he's really good too. He is mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he even has a little bit of that sliminess to it. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a bastard. I mean, that's yes, that's what horrible. Thing. Like he's. I think what's good about that performance is they they really have him rein it in. Like, I think when we talk justified, this will this will for me his best performance is justified is as Raylan. He's fantastic. I mean, that character that like. It, I'm like, this is Raylan. This is not this guy. <laughs> this is Raylan. This is how he would be. He's so different from Bullock. Um, but I think they oh, had yeah. him with Bullock. He's playing it really straight. And I don't mean that in a sexual way. I mean, he's like, not really that likable. I mean, he's pretty. But I think you're supposed, I think this is intentional. I think you're supposed to initially root for him. You see where he's coming from. But he's also managing these really, really difficult really problematic rage and anger issues that he's just kept shoving down. Like, so he is very toxically masculine in a lot of ways, despite being a overall, a pretty decent person. It's just, he's kind of just always at that teeter totter of when are we going to, when are we going to explode? When is this going to like be too much? And you see that throughout the series. But I think as the audience rewatching and through this discussion, I'm thinking like, oh, we are supposed to kind of identify with him as like, that's the normal guy. Like that's the guy, that's the character that we as modern people or as people with our set of values and and socialization should probably think we would act like, except for when he flies off, (laughs) you know? And so I think that's intentional that we are supposed to kind of make that connection with him. Um, So that leaves him with not, not not a lot of places to go. Um, because you've got everybody else being so wild too. Yeah. And you can really see, I think Bullock's role is to kind of put you in the middle of look how fucked up this situation is. <laughs> I think that's literally his kind of job as the series goes on. Yeah. And then the straight guy is the perfect way. It's like, you've got, I mean, like in comedies, you've got the straight guy the straight character the straight you know not like tanya said not sexuality but just the straight character there and that is very much what he's but yeah the anger who that seething rage and when it comes out boy does it come out and it's very hard to watch at times you know it's very and you see it very early on so it's it's always there and i think tim does that very well he does that you know where it's like there's something below the surface that doesn't always come out. And then you see it come out sometimes. And, and um, he plays a lot of characters like that throughout mm-hmm. his career. He's played a lot of characters that have something else going on, even when he's played in comedies, even when he's done that, because he, he's very good at comedy too. Uh, so, you know, he, he has a tendency to find those characters to have a tendency to find him mm-hmm. and he digs into them, but it, it was interesting to watch this show and then watch Justified at the same time. Because even though there's some similarities in the atmosphere of the shows, I mean, Justified is, you know, not <laughs> Justified is present day, but it's still got that Western feel. Yeah. It's Elmore you can't, Leonard. You can't smell Justified quite as much. Sometimes, maybe, <laughs> maybe when Dewey Crow shows up, you can smell it. But anyway. <laughs> yes, but it's not the same kind of smell. <laughs> but it's yeah. more of a swamp ass. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so, that's 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 kind of true. But yeah. Watching and watching like because I watched the series finale of Deadwood this morning, and then right after I watched the series finale of Justified, so I watched them back to back. So that was kind of interesting. Way to like read the cliff notes before your exam. That's no, that's funny. I like that because I didn't get to the finale, so I'm glad of Deadwood. I'm I'm like episode five or six on season three. I've seen it all a couple of times all the way through. And I think I have a harder time watching season three because I hate George Hurst so much. So this is a testament to how good the acting is and how much, you know, you're supposed to, that I'm like, mm, I don't even want to watch you. I just hope your back just hurts until you die. Like, you know, you know, that one song, um, play that funky music, white boy. He played that funky music. <laughs> right? Yeah. Lay down the boogie and play the funky music till you die. I would love it if George Hurst would have played that funky music till he died. Till he died. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but I've never heard of anyone dying from laying down the boogie. And that's a person I would have loved to attribute that cause of death to. A special episode of Deadwood. Just for yeah. <laughs> what happened? Oh, he... Fucking lay down, laid the, down boogie the, till he the fucking died. boogie till he fucking croaked. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> that's funny. No, I mean, I have that song stuck in my head, but that's you're that's welcome. Funny. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I have you. been stuck at home because people in my family had COVID, and all I have done is watch Deadwood and ride funk rides on Peloton. And if you didn't think those two were going to cross nerd streams in my head tonight, you were sadly mistaken. <laughs> that's funny (laughs) um (laughs) well i mean we're kind of we're kind of going outline we're kind of not but i love this conversation that's why when sometimes when you have just two people i'm not saying i don't love having big panels but sometimes when you have just two people it's like a lot more conversational sometimes but i do want to talk about a little bit of the treatment and and we'll get also into capitalism and stuff because I do think that is important. Thank you for bringing because it up. Because Tanya was like, you got to talk well, about no, this. No, it, it is important because capitalism is a disease. So mm. anyway. <laughs> well, well, how do you really that. feel about that, Aaron? No. <laughs> we'll do that in a, a second here. But I do want to talk about the treatment of Native Americans. And we can also talk about all the other racism as well in this show. Uh, so, oh. but, Oof. Yeah. Oof. No. <laughs> no, this is where where I turn Midwestern and all I can really say is, yeah, fuck. Like it's bad. Like not to <laughs> that's not that that's not the intellectual content you came for. I know, but no, it's I think what is um native there's first of all, there's not a lot of Native American presence in this show, um, despite the context being you know, this, this contention, like there's, so whenever you're talking about story, right, there's internal conflicts, there's interpersonal conflicts, there's like larger group conflicts, and then there's world conflicts, come to my 101 class, Um, right, but the, that it's just sort of an abstract conflict that's existing a lot. Um, Of course, that said, there's, they're incredibly racist sentiments expressed toward every group who's not white, and every group who's not white men, However, at this time, one thing that I think is really interesting in this show that is that they show, they display um, how whiteness as a category was constructed differently than we think of it now. Okay. And so what I mean by that is people that we would now consider to be white were not considered white in the same way 
and at this time and place. So the way that they react to, to Saul Starr, who's Jewish, mm -hmm. and they express some really problematic language, things about him. Um, and then, and, and that's, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But then later, the they bring mine workers in who are Cornish and Welsh and like all these other kinds of Irish and different um, ethnicities from, from other parts of Europe. And they are definitely not treated as white quite in the same category. They are allowed um, access to bars and things that they would not be allowed if they were of a different race. But uh, they are definitely considered second, third, fourth tier yeah, so I do think that they they do well with the show in terms of representing that those conflicts between groups and also making you as the viewer, they don't glorify it. So it's not like, oh, the manifest destiny people like going out and blah blah, the natives weren't using this bullshit, right? Instead, they're like, this is fucked up. This group of people took this. It didn't belong to them. Mm -hmm. Then they proceeded to be complete exploitative and horrific human beings about it like I there's there's interactions between some some freed African Americans that come in and then um, some of the white folks and you're just like I just have to like fast forward you're just like Jesus this is just horrible like the way that that was they show scapegoating they show um, they show a character a mob is trying to tar and feather someone and then they're trying to string they're trying to lynch someone at some point and it's like a couple times lynching actually it starts off with lynching sorry <laughs> the show yeah, i was yeah. just remembering that first episode um but yeah it, and it's it's really i'm all over the place here but yeah that's um the native americans especially they they could have possibly been in it more i think what is challenging is had they gone there with that the show would have been more about native white interaction than about the characters of the show and not that that would have been a bad thing it just would have been a different show but yeah it's you know at, at every point they don't know is the government going to defend them if if the tribes come and like kick them off of this land and all of the gold that they're you know pillaging is from land that belongs to native americans Right. So you, I think you're never, sh it's never glorified what they're doing. It's, I think, an interesting commentary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you said um, with the, the whiteness in the show and how some people that nowadays still have all the benefits that whiteness brings us, uh, there was a difference. You know, Irish people have been treated differently. You know, you, you look at that through history and not just in the Old West kind of time period either. You know, you had a lot of that going forward where you did have, you know, you would have signs saying Irish people weren't allowed in certain stores and you had that kind of. So looking at that, because I don't think a lot of people realize or remember that or I mean, not like they would be alive, but I mean, remember that is from history or anything. And that's not taught, I don't think, as much the different levels of class and racism and everything like that how it worked also with white people as well. Uh, but yeah, the racism and in, in the inherent racism 
is everywhere in the show and it's everywhere and justified too. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. And like, I appreciate like, what is, what is so fascinating to me about that? I was talking with my, I finally succeeded in getting my daughter into Deadwood. Um, the one who's 18. Okay. Just to, once again, once um, again to clarify, this is yeah. like a five-year-old, right? It's like older yeah. adult children. But, um, you know, she, we, she was commenting on how hard it is. Like she had just watched the episode where Bullock, uh, has the fight. And yeah, oh. the thing that is so amazing about that to me actually is like Bullock is not, Bullock is not randomly attacking that person. Okay. So you, he has some reason for reacting the way he does. He goes way too far with it. He, he, his rage his rage uh, lid snaps off and he explodes. But this guy, the native, they even explain why he was doing what he was doing through mm -hmm. Charlie utter telling Bullock, here's what happened. Like Al puts this bounty on native American um, scallops or something just horrible. Yes. And I don't even remember. Oh, because he's trying to blame he's that, that highway hijacking on. Yes. They're, they're blaming that on. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's actually white people that are doing the, the thing that they're. Yes. Which again, speaks to what <sighs> white people have done. <laughs> forever. And that's, that's why I was saying like, I think they're doing a good job of showing how fucked up and awful and evil white people have been. Yes. Like the, that's what I meant earlier, just to clarify my, my oh, comment. Yeah. But so Al puts this bounty Someone goes and just randomly like desecrates a Native American burial site so that they can get this bounty. And then uh, another person sees that, a Native person, sees Bullock, attacks him. And then it's a fight, a really gruesome fight to the death. But Charlie Utter is mad. Like he's, when he comes across Bullock, he's like, I get why you did this. I get, but this is what the fuck is happening. Like here's the context here. Mm -hmm. He knows enough about that culture that he can understand why it was happening the way it was happening. And so I think the, the brilliance of some of these really difficult interactions show that it's not just a, a racist interaction is showing how completely inept white people are and were at cross-cultural communication and valuing cross-cultural differences. Um, and so that there, I finally got to my more cogent point, but yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's very true. And that's something that we still are. I mean, that white people still are. So that's why it's interesting when you watch this and then you're watching Justified at the same time. And it's the same. I mean, it's different, of course, but there's still that same kind of thing. I mean, because Justified deals a lot with racism as well. So there's a lot of racism in that, too. So, you know, you, you that problem still persists. And I think it is important. Like I said, once again, going back to what I said at the beginning, this show doesn't glamorize what went on. And it, it it shows the dirty, the awful, the ugly side. And this is another side that's ugly and dirty and happened. And, you know, even if there are historical inaccuracies, this stuff did happen. This isn't, you know, made up that like that white people did this kind of stuff. So... Yeah, I mean this this country is stolen. We're all on stolen land. This country was founded through that, through racism, through murder, through on the backs of p other people's labor that was free, quote unquote, that we stole. Uh, you know that kind of stuff. So on slavery, we built this country. So you can't ignore that because if you ignore that, 
comes back and you never deal with it. We still have never really dealt with that. And so we haven't really dealt with this side either. And mm-hmm. so, yes, you have a lot of representation when it comes to Native Americans in the show. But I do think it's always sort of there under mm-hmm. the surface because you can't, I mean, how could it not be? Yeah. Yeah. It's like this existential threat. That's all I guess is how I would describe it. Like the same with the threat of who are we going to get annexed by? Are we going to get annexed? Like, um, and then they do Custer is referenced (laughs) Yeah, and that's kind of interesting. And then at one point the, um, the cavalry comes through and it's some, something related to Custer and they show how fucked up the, um, people who have been in the cavalry, like they show the post-traumatic stress, like, I think that's yeah the show does not try to sanitize or or present anything that wasn't vicious and horrific as less than vicious and horrific um and I think showing the the Chinese laborers that was that yes. was fascinating because that is true as far as I know um and having had like Asian American history classes that it was men who were brought over not women women were not brought over they they were there were different laws about men who could immigrate versus women from China mm-hmm. and the labor being, you know, the railroad being the real driver of those folks coming over. And so that's, that's just really fascinating. Cause then the other point I wanted to make about that is on a character level, you see people who sound racist and they are racist. Everyone's racist. Okay. In this show, we're not, I'm not glossing over that, but there's like, there's like racism that is expressed, but then someone's actions are are far less discriminatory in in fact than what they ex- like. I'm thinking of Al and Wu particularly, <laughs> like there's like the surface racism. Yes, yeah, and then there's the real. Yeah. I'm not saying that's not real, but like then there's the real, real racism. And you're like, so yes, it, yeah, that's. A weird way for like, but <laughs> I know, but it's <laughs> what I was trying to express. Like, because with Al, you're like, oh, he's that sucks. Why is he talking to this guy like this? Um, but Al values and and considers Wu his equal, roughly, like in terms of positionality and power and importance. Yeah. Not, you know, he can't come out and be like, I'm going to treat you like an equal because that would not fly in that context. And he's probably racist and wouldn't treat someone that way, but. It's he definitely has more respect and collegiality for Wu than he does Tolliver and other uh, white people in the camp. So I think that's really, really fascinating. So and then you see Hearst, like contrast this with Hearst, who brings um, an African-American woman who is his like personal chef, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't really know. And she's a really interesting character, Aunt Lou. Um, and at first you see him embrace her and people are like, Oh, he, you know, physically touched a person of color. Oh my God. And then later you, you know, so you think, Oh, maybe this guy is like the one non-racist person in the world. Of course not. Because then later he's only has any value for her if she sticks in her place and if she does exactly what he wants her to do and Mm -hmm. kisses his ass and stuff. So it's, I think it's really interesting that they show that contrast between like sort of benign things that look like someone's not, maybe, maybe they're slightly enlightened. Oh, nope, nope. They're a fucking asshole. Like they're terrible, um, which fits with his overall character. But yeah. When it fits with, 
the deep the deep seated racism racism being kind of inherent in everything and you don't not not being blatant about it but it's always there it's like under the surface of everything that's done is there's some sort of form of that in there somewhere so it's like you can be blatantly racist with saying like you know certain words or calling people certain slurs but then there's also the racism that isn't like that where it is that inherent where it's in you where you do something and you might not even in your brain even though it is racist you're not thinking that it's racist because well i didn't say it th this and i i you know I, I maybe treated them with respect in this instance so i'm not but there's racism is still there so it does a good job of showing that racism isn't always what you think it is it's not always going to be someone just flat out saying horrible awful stuff it's also their actions and it's also stuff that is deep seated in them that there might be something they say that you may not think is overtly racist, but it actually is. So it's mm -hmm. that kind of thing. It's showing how inherent it and how it's woven into the fabric of life, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, they do a really interesting job with that, showing that complexity. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the disease of capitalism. <laughs> Yay. I do. I, yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of railroads, we are right now, you know, there is a tentative agreement with people who work in the railroad who are treated like absolute garbage, by the way, but people who work for the railroad companies. And that to me is another uh, symptom of capitalism. What's going on with that currently today, which They've reached a tentative agreement, so we shall see if mm -hmm. that holds or not. But, you know, there's labeled labor disputes in this, and capitalism is already present. That's the interesting thing is it's already present at this time period. You know, we're not even in present day, but capitalism is everywhere. So Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for connecting that to current events too. Yay. Um, yeah, and, and you might have to film it because I heard this on the radio and – about the the railroad strike and the president had to get involved. And I think people, yes. you know, you sort of hear this in the background. You're like, oh, okay, railroads, but whatever. It doesn't affect me. It does. Oh, my God. That was when if the president has to get involved in a labor dispute, that is massive. Right. And they were talking about what the impact would have been had they gone on strike. Like and, and they were as far as I know, they kind of came to terms on on wages coming like they had reached an agreement there, but it was about work schedules and like, yeah, because they have to work practices. like 24 seven, they are on call yeah. 24 seven. And then they get after a certain time, like a certain number of days off, but they don't even get like, we get like, you know, usually generally you get like two days off a week or something around mm -hmm. that. They mm -hmm. don't even get that. Yep. And yeah. they have to schedule their time off so far in advance that they don't even get time off if like they had a family member die or something like right. that. Right. So they're not exempt or they're they're exempted, so to speak, from like what we would consider to be fair labor practices. And I just I think that's these labor issues, these issues of those tensions between capitalism and or infrastructural demands of a society and individual rights and like what we just need to be able to be human continue to shape and structure our daily experience. Had they gone on strike, you know, we would not, we are already feeling inflation. We're already feeling not being able to get goods we need, like medications, et cetera. That just would have been, it would have been across the board, a big old kick in the ass for everybody, like um, right up the cooch. And I haven't said 
those words yet. So I'm <laughs> but capitalism. <laughs> Talking about other other as Jane says when she's trying to get in the bath, out to burn my snatch. Talking about other um, <laughs> other other cooch kickers. Um yeah, it's I think what when when we are looking at the history, right, of this time period in the West in particular, I think so often we're not looking at the, the role of industry and capitalism and the role of this wealth and people accumulating this wealth and being hell bent on accumulating it had on both where we are now and what came after and what that was like for people at the time. And I know that they talk about like the robber barons of the railroad, et cetera. You hear that term maybe in your history somewhere, but you don't, it doesn't, I don't think, I don't know. For me, it didn't like slam into my brain is the same way as showing this character. And then having been an adult and coming back to this after having read a considerable amount of Karl Marx, right? And like, you're like, oh, oh, oh my God. You know, like I knew, I knew there was racism. I knew there was white people taking stuff that didn't belong to them and being horrific and being exploitative. But I don't think I thought about it in a structural sense of a economic and political system that's intertwined so much that you can't get them apart. So they showed this with the camp as Deadwood originally is trying to like have any kind of political structure. They show this with Hearst trying to like make everything, the laws be the way that they should be for him um, in order for, for him to really just get access to all this gold. Um, and his greed is motivating him, but it's, and they do show his pathological greed, but they show how far someone with means and pathological greed can go. Like that's really the le the object lesson here. I think is just like, wow, holy crap! And these there was nothing to prevent these people from doing this. That's I think what else is shocking. Like there's times when Bullock and other characters want to resist this, this and they can't. So I think there's like different. I'm going all over the place, but there's different kinds of power, and the show is really about power and power struggles, right? There's mm -hmm. there's physical coercive power. Can I? You know, if I'm elsewhere, Jen, can I beat the shit out of you? Can I grab my knife or can I have Dan Doherty grab his knife and slit your throat and feed you to pigs, which happens a lot, right? So there's that power. Then there's like coercive power, which is L also manipulates moving behind the scenes. Like, hey, Bullock, you should be sheriff um, because I understand you. And I know your limits and I know like I can kind of trust you to act a certain way. And then there's Hearst power, which is changing the fucking rules of the game to be you, to, to rigging the game, to making it all up. It's like playing Candyland with a three-year-old where they just want to change the rules if you're winning. It's true. Or if you're like, but the three-year-old has money and guns and can kill you, you know? And, and all they care about is getting, you know, all the candy cane cards or whatever. So it just... <laughs> I went all over with my metaphors, but no, but that showing that power, yeah, mm -hmm. showing that that how that he can kind of control and rig that game to such an extent that it it just you know prevents it constrains other people it it um, hamstrings like even Al and even other characters from being able to uh, you know accomplish anything or even navigate. So really, and and eventually. He does manipulate Alma Garrett is kind of Alma Garrett Ellsworth is sort of the lone holdout for a long time. And she opens a bank and she's like 
falls upon this wealth and ends up being a very dutiful citizen in, in some ways, like, okay, I'll open a bank. Okay, I'll do this and I'll try to better the community. And that's really fascinating to me. And then he ends up just being a complete evil bastard and getting her to sell out and leave, basically, um, because he just can't handle not having control. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with men? Anyway, okay, sorry. No, it's, <laughs> you don't call it because it's or people, true. like, I'm just like, what a, what a yeah. crazy thing to think that, I'm sorry to be labeling or ableist, what a wild thing to think that you have a right to do that because you think the minerals in the earth talk to you and then you just shape everything to fit your bullshit, self-aggrandizing, toxically masculine narrative. And that happens to line up with other people's interests in such a way that you get to be God kind of mm -hmm. like, okay. That was my little like, <laughs> that's the perfect way to describe capitalism. Frankly, I think, you know, no, really. I mean, I think capitalism is, you know, people like to paint this pretty picture on it where it's like, Capitalism means anyone can make anything of them, their lives and anyone can be rich and that's bullshit. It's just not true because like you just said and expressed and the Candyland thing is a perfect analogy there. It really is because it's like it's just just being like, OK, I want my big slice of the pie and I don't want anybody else to have it if it's going to if it's going to inhibit the amount of pie that I get. If I don't get this huge slice of pie. Because I have to give a little bit of my pie to you so that you can be sustained and you can eat. Then no, I'm going to take that pie and it's going to be all my, that's going to be my pie. You don't get a slice of it unless you work hard. Yet, even if you do work hard, I'm not going to give it to you if it's going to somehow infringe on my eating that pie that I love so much. Mm -hmm. If I already have that wealth, how am I going to share it with people? I mean, you have people now, and this is the same way it is now. You have people who could easily solve hunger, who could easily help. We, we could easily have everybody have a roof over their heads, but we don't want to do that because it's all about money and power and greed. And this was the formation of that. You saw that really forming in this, when you're forming towns and you're forming this system. And of course you're, someone's going to be like, well, I want to be the one with all the power instead of us working together, like an actual community, we're not going to work that way. And we're going to have people who are the hierarchies. And if I have more money and I have more of whatever is considered more of a better currency at that time period, then that automatically means you're supposedly the better person and the person you're supposed to respect more. And that's where that disease is, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. that's BS, because then it makes, you know, I personally am dealing with a lot of this of like being at a certain point in my life and go looking and you look at people who have certain things and you're like, I'm nowhere near that, or I don't have that in that way, or I don't have my life in this way. And that's all comes from that, where you have this whole system that is built around what you have and how much you can get. And that's how it makes you a person that that that's where your value is in life. And you see that in this show, that's where your value is. Mm -hmm. If you have the, the stuff, if you have whatever has most value to it, that's not even real. It's not even real. That's the thing. It doesn't have a heartbeat. It doesn't have a soul. But whoever has more of that is automatically the better person. And it's so messed up because then all these other people get pushed down further and further and further. And so while you're saying they can, you know, rise up 
that's not really true mm -hmm. because if you're if you're in that position not that it hasn't happened before but if you're already in that position you're born into that position say the chances of being able to get into that position that's supposed to be the respectable one where you have more money and you're able to you know sustain a life that you want and you don't have to you know get handouts or whatever then that somehow makes you a better person. But if you're born where you already are struggling mm -hmm. and they're all the people that don't want you to take any of that from them, then you're going to have a hell of a time getting up there. I mean, the amount of people in this time period that had that wealth was so tiny and the amount of people in present day that have that wealth is so tiny. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah. it's, it is just, I really do think it's a disease. It's mm -hmm. an illness and what we are seeing now, and you saw it here too, with people when people would get sick, people would be dying, and and it's kind of parallel here where you see that where it's like shows all the cracks there mm -hmm. in that system that's supposed to be so much better than the other mm -hmm. systems in the world. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. You're right. Like that's such a great that's such a mind fuck in a way. Like that this whole show, the premise is. <laughs> we're, 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 no, but we're like, we're, it's awesome. Like we're going to this place to try to be free, like to try to do the commerce we want to do and whatever that is, like it's illegal, it's vice commerce, or you're just trying to start over. Like they're presenting that as kind of the starting point of this show. You know, mm -hmm. of course this is built on horrific treatment of native Americans and war and pillaging, et cetera. Um, but then ultimately they get like ruined by someone who's better at it and has more money and can just completely yeah, take all the pieces and swipe them off the game board and say, now we're playing this game and I'm up here and you're way the fuck down here and good luck. And, you know, and I'm just thinking of even the way Hearst manipulated the press and had rumors float about, oh, you know what, if the, if this place comes and takes these annexes us they're gonna invalidate all these claims and had people sell like panic like insider trading basically like yes. panic and sell their their claims before he even got to camp to be able or town to be able to like just consolidate consolidate and he had agents doing this and then they also show um anytime someone he even gets a whiff of organizing or a union they get murdered mm -hmm. oh how convenient they fell down a, a shaft Right. And nobody can do anything about it because there's still not like legal standards and they can't prove anything and they yeah. can't like. Yeah. So it's just it's the, just this vacuum that they were doing OK as a community, even that my favorite episode so far, I think, might be the plague one, which is as a germaphobe, oh, probably a little shocking. But this is where the community like they have smallpox happen and they get together and they figure it out. And it's not, you know, perhaps ideal because they're like collecting money to bribe this other government agency so that they can get better and more advantageous system or whatever right yeah. there's all this mm -hmm. politicking and posturing um but in the course of doing that they managed to essentially collect voluntary taxes for the good of the community to be able to construct uh this tent have the dock like focus on treating people and then they send people to go get the vaccine and guess what in 1870s these hoopleheads who are filthy who you can smell who just have who knows what happening they line up to get their vaccines Unlike yeah. current years, right? Like you're like, 
I'm watching rewatching the show now and I'm like, are you kidding me? These people who couldn't read like would get anyway. And they probably did, but just come on people get your shots. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's very, it's, it's, it's very true. It's, you know, because saying like, you know, that it's a form, what you're talking about with people being willing to chip in and willing to do what's good for the better good for humanity, for other people. I mean, honestly, there's a lot, there's socialism a lot in that. And socialism is thought of as a bad, dirty word, and it's something you don't do. But there are some aspects of it that are so amazing and lend themselves more to humanity. And so when you have it here and you see people doing that, and especially when you're looking at it, when you're rewatching it from a present day lens, it's a little like, oh my God, <laughs> that episode was a little bit, was a, was hard to watch. I yeah. have to say, yeah, because you're looking at it from that lens and seeing how mm -hmm. selfish we are. We are so self-absorbed. It's like, and I'm using the big general we here, <laughs> but we are, we're a very selfish society. We like to preach that we're like some kind of, you know, based in like Christian values or whatever. And, you know, in all honesty, the, you know, the, the, whatever your beliefs are, the person that Jesus was supposedly was, would be just, just, just a guest and would just be saddened by the stuff that is supposedly Christian. It's like, it's yeah. so backwards. We are so backwards. And you see, the beginnings of that in this show of how backwards that thinking is of we're all in this together, but we're not really, we're all in, we're all alone and we're as every person for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then when you do see people come together and it's great and wonderful, but you eventually it's going to be vilified and eventually it's not going to be that way because eventually whoever has all that money and that power structure, they will be able to be like, you know, take that away. That that makes sense, or get rid of that. So I don't know. That that makes yeah. Sense. And but even I mean, cap. I think not to not to pick not to split hairs, but like capitalism does not have to be evil. I don't think. Like I think you can have, I think you can have um, incentive for profit and biz, small business and things like that because they were yeah. showing that actually in this show. Like they. Swearingen, the unofficial leader of this, goes to the quote unquote like pillars of the community, which are people who have more money or means or have access to communication, like the newspaper guy. Love the newspaper guy, um, too, right? In order to kind of like rally the the team. And then they end up doing something for the good of the community. But his his position as an entrepreneur enabled that a little bit. So I think that just it's just a qualitatively different animal than Hearst and and that level of capitalism with a big c or something yeah yeah no i yeah yeah no that's 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 a good point to point out because i think i think it's because there's an idea behind it and there are some good tenants to it but it's the way that human beings have manipulated that and have taken advantage of that system in a way that makes it hard for others to be able to take advantage of the system too, or to reap the benefits, I should say, mm -hmm. of, of capitalism mm -hmm. and that system. So. Or just survive. 
Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. Or have a reasonable, you know, work day where you're not. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, it is kind of ridiculous. So yeah, yeah, where you're treated like you're a person and you, you know, you're allowed to have a, a life and, you know, to to not feel to not worry every day whether or not you're going to eat or if you're going to have a roof over your heads, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. which is definitely in this this time period too you have it to a different degree it's a little bit different than now of course but you know you still can see the parallels so i'm victoria cash thanks for calling the lucky land hotline if you feel like you do the same thing every day press one if you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes press two we heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. But I did want to talk about, you know, for, for time here. <laughs> yeah, fair we'll enough. Get, we'll get to the finale here and talk okay. about the finale. So I know you didn't watch it. Not recently, but I have I've seen it. I've seen the movie, which we didn't talk about. I think we're gonna have to have part two. I think we're gonna have to do <laughs> a fifth set fifteen years in the future. Deadwood podcast part two. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if it's hey, as I always say, if if an episode ends up being really popular and there's a way to revisit yeah. the topic, we will. <laughs> That'd be cool. Us and the five other people who love this show this much anyway. But yeah, okay. The finale. <laughs> so your thoughts on the, so did you oh, like my the thoughts. Yeah, um, I think so. I think, you know, unfortunately it, it definitely felt unfinished. I think it, very much people, so. yeah, there was a lot of, because I don't know if they knew they were going to be, have to be done. I don't think they did when they wrote it. I don't remember. Um, they definitely kind of had at least another season or two because it, the show never really, it, it's concise seasons. It's like 12 episodes. So it's not, you're never like, oh, this is too much. We're just fucking around in this episode and nothing important is happening. Uh, everything matters. And so it definitely felt like we were left, we left some things hanging. And that said, I was reading an analysis just before the podcast that was saying one of the things about the show is that they never really wanted to like cleanly wrap anything up. They always wanted loose ends. And that was part of the appeal, like either things coming back <laughs> that had, which is also what makes Game of Thrones complex and amazing and interesting in some ways is things will take six seasons to, uh, to be revisited or we're sowing seeds here, then it bear fruit here. And so I can see that, that being relevant. Um, and you have, you do see in, in a lot of ways, the full ripples and con evil shitty ripple shit ripples the shit ripples of her right the shit ripples like not, we're just gonna go there the visuals of this episode are <laughs> hey you know i call it like i see anyway just like with with trixie you know being so uh distraught over appropriately so about ellsworth and that murder and yeah he just straight up murders a dude because he wants the wife's stuff because he can't He's just, I wish he would lay down that boogie and die. Um, but yeah. <laughs> On the special episode. <laughs> or if he, he knocks a hole in the hotel, which should, should clue you into like what he's going to do. 
and he leaves in a mess. And if he could have just got drunk and just, just like fell, just stumbled. Anyway, um, yeah, I know, I know that's not the point well, of this. Lay show. on that hotel wall yeah. and die. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, maybe he knocked out a structural beam and he just gets crushed to death. Could that happen in episode thirteen of season three? Um, yeah. Or, you know, because part of you is surprised Bullock isn't just murdering this guy at this point um, or or trying to, you know, which I think he would have if he could have got away with it, um, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. So you see the full effects of that. Al ends up needing to choose to save Trixie by murdering someone who didn't deserve it. You know, not that anybody deserves murder, but, you know, and, and that's just really awful. and. At the same time, you know, you don't want Trixie to have to answer for her actions, kind of. Like, she tries to kill Hurst. To be fair, she just was a bad shot, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Damn it, Trixie. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Tricks are for yeah. kids. No, sorry. Aim for, sorry. Aim, it's like a Thanos. Like, aim for the head. Come on. <laughs> like, you know. Yes, yes. Always remember that. Aim for the head. Aim for the head. Uh, yeah. So, it just... <laughs> Unfortunately, we kind of, that's kind of where they kind of end it. And so you're not sure quite how that's going to, that dust is going to, it kind of ends with like, oh shit. And then they just leave you there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, we've been talking about a lot of shows over the past couple of weeks that actually have really great, wonderful finales and leave it where it's not all wrapped up necessarily in a tidy, neat little bow, except for, I think you could say six feet under is, but you even though, you know, you, you have that, you still have that open where if you did revisit it, it would work. It would seem fine. And it's not everything's perfect, but it's good. But this one, it really leaves you sad that there wasn't more because there's so much more to say. And this one, you can tell they really were not expecting it. And people were very upset when the show got canceled. So, and I'm really surprised the show got canceled, honestly, especially during that that time these were this was like the kind of stuff that people loved so i am mm -hmm. shocked by that that there weren't like at least five seasons to me this show feels like a show that would have five seasons i mean the only plus side to it is that you didn't get to the point where it went downhill right. or it got mm -hmm. monotonous so mm -hmm. there is that side but it is such a I mean, I guess you could say cliffhanger, but not really. But it's just like it leaves so much up in the air that you don't get answers to that it's unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. It feels just like a season finale, not a series finale. Yeah. And, and it is, I mean, it's that final shot, though. That being said, that final shot, though, of, of just Al on the floor, just cleaning up that blood is very powerful and is i think says everything about the show just in that shot honestly yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's down yeah. and dirty and depressing and sad and gross and visceral again i know mm -hmm. i've said that word a lot but i think it applies most of the yeah. show that so that final shot even though it's kind of disappointing as a series finale which is not their fault it's disappointing mm -hmm. because you wanted more Mm -hmm. but that final shot is a very powerful way to end it because mm -hmm. it's kind of like it's very quiet but it says a lot so. yeah dealing with the consequences which is a very big yeah. theme throughout right as we've we've said the consequences of other people's 
behavior or the various, you know, existential sort of conflicts or external conflicts happening that they just find themselves in the, in the middle of and are trying to kind of live or survive or have their own little piece of something, the American dream kind of, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is such an American show as, as we talk about it, that it's such a commentary for America, good and bad, <laughs> yes. that it really, I think it, it's one of those shows you watch and you feel smarter. And I hope that's true. <laughs> like you watch it and you're like, oh, oh, I feel like I learned something or I thought about things that gives you such a perspective, you know, shift from what um, maybe at least I grew up with this, this version that was very like Thanksgiving was this harmonious sit down, <laughs> you know, yeah. or cowboys were, if they had the white hat, they were a good guy. And John Wayne just strolls up and blah, blah, bullshit, you know, stuff that mm-hmm. I think even at the time we kind of knew was bullshit or Lone Ranger and Tonto, you know, which was yeah. probably unfortunately one of my first like media exposures to sort of a Western theme. Um, and to kind of see this and go, oh, this is what it was much more likely like. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, this is its own version of extreme, um, but it, it does enough to combat that narrative that it's that it's really interesting. Our government is also very fucked. And, um, you know, I, I just like not to, we should all vote, we should all democracy, blah, blah, drink the Kool-Aid, educate yourself, yay, you know. Um, but we have our government has never not been corrupt and i don't say this to like buy into bullshit conspiracy theories um it's more like oh wow okay the the capitalist pipeline to the people in power has existed forever like in terms mm-hmm. of i want you to vote how i want i want these people in power i want them to do this thing and you know yeah power corrupts mhm so and you really see that so mm-hmm. yes well, I think that's a great way to segue into, since you said you have a connection, into Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock. I do. And I, th- I hope I'm right about this. I'm so proud of myself because I don't, I thought, as you know, for many <laughs> I know. weeks that Finn Whitrock was the kid from Stranger Things and he's not. And I was no. a little concerned. <laughs> I would be concerned too. And I, I, I was like, <laughs> I don't think Aaron would be doing that. And so it in my was, head, I was no. like, I'm definitely not thinking of the right person. <laughs> But um, I believe he's on American Horror Story, right? Which I don't oh, yes. watch. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. But Sarah Paulson is on that or in something? Oh, yes. Is she's that? been yeah, – she's, she's like Ryan Murphy. Yes, there you go. See, quick, quick, Yay. Quick. See, yes. I was like, I'm so proud. I know that this per- who this person is. I know they're in Ryan Murphy stuff, and I know I can do it in one. Boom. Very good. Yes. American Horror Story is a very, very easy one to use to connect because there's so many people that have been. Yes. Sarah Paulson is Ryan Murphy's. He tortures her as well. <laughs> and it shows she's, she's a favorite. Yes. She's, she's a muse, but she's also kind of. Jessica Lang was really his muse for a long time. Wow. And then. Sarah Paulson, he, he loves to make her cry and loves to torture her in various different ways. And I love Sarah Paulson, but she's really good in this too. Like I have to say, she's she's her, good in a lot. Yeah. She has, I mean, she's fantastic as an as a performer, but um, she's like this small character that doesn't. It's really not that important, but it's she's really it's an interesting. It's another person with all these different layers going on in them and her behavior. Also, there's a little Kristen Bell cameo um, episode or two, yeah. which are hard 
tough to watch, but funny to see these people who are so young because it's 20 years ago or whatever that they did this. Yeah, I know. It's always it's always funny. That's what was happening when we were when I was rewatching Six Feet Under. I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot Chris Pine is in an episode. And oh, person, okay. Yeah, it's it's like that kind of thing. And you're like, oh, they're so yeah. young, and nobody knew who in the world they were. At yeah. That time. <laughs> so it is always interesting. I used Molly Parker. So Molly Parker was in The Wicker Man, the remake of The Wicker Man, <laughs> with Nicolas Cage, who was in the great, wonderful movie that came out earlier this year with Pedro Pascal, oh. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which, as I've said before, we we need to have like a series of movies with Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal. They just need to do a bunch of movies together. I don't know if you've seen this movie, Tanya. Not yet. It's on my list. I wanted it's to see it. Yeah. One of the best movies of the year. Absolutely oh, nice. hilarious. And Nicolas Cage is playing a version of himself. In right. It. Which is about right for him at this point. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, that was co-written by Finn's cousin. <laughs> so oh, way to take the back door to the alley, to the tent, <laughs> to the outhouse back there and make me look like an asshole. <laughs> Thanks so much. Not at all. What are you trying to say? You're trying to say, is that your clever way of saying I enjoy a fucking drink? Is that what you're fucking trying to say? All right, anyway. I don't know shit about shit. Well, you don't tell me whether to stay or go or go or stay or stay or go or stay. <laughs> but yes, so, <laughs> so there's our six degrees of Finn. Um, and speaking of Nicolas Cage, I'm just going to give a shout out again to Jen from my pod, from uh, my streaming bubble, who's my podcast brain twin, who is also part of my Finn crew. And she plays Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage on her podcast because she loves, I don't know anyone who loves Nicolas Cage as much as Jen. So definitely. Maybe Nicolas Cage? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just that seemed right. I For Pedro know. Pascal's character in yeah. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> yes, yes. But go watch that movie and go listen to Jen's podcast as well. And thank you so much, Tanya. This was a ton of fun. And I think it was a great, great conversation. Yes, put the hat back on. So, yeah. <laughs> but Tanya, if you want to tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me fucking in this position, holding up this building, and it's none of your cocksucking business if that's the, no. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's the last of my Jane bits, I guess, for tonight. Um, you can find me on. I don't even know. I'm like, should I say this now? Because no, they know who I am. Um, on Twitter at AK Nerdfighting, capital A, capital K, capital N, capital F. Yes, <laughs> you had to that's think it. about that for a second. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And if you are going to be, you're going to be at, uh, aren't you going to be doing a panel? Yeah. Out? Yeah. Uh, I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm Bex going to, uh, it. New York city. Uh, I really want to say it like Laszlo Cravensworth from what we're doing this. I love that show. I'm going to New York comic-con. Woo. Finally, I've been trying to go to it for several years and I just keep like, please, please let me come to your show. Please. May I talk at people for free? Please. I wear a costume. I will come out to New York. I don't know what accents were happening in that, but a lot of, random ones we, we started ones. we started with oliver twist and we ended with some old bitch from downton abbey or something some old bitch from downton abbey. The, the 
the the main bitch, the Dowager Countess, <laughs> isn't that what she called? Just I don't know. I don't watch Downton. I don't baby. either. I'm, I'm it's totally not my thing. But yeah, <laughs> I'm just messing. Um, I like the main bitch. Yeah, the one who always looks like she's going to her room trying to be a human fart detector. <laughs> Did anyone fart in here? Pew. Um, okay. Uh, so you're going to New York Comic Con. Apparently, they're going to call me now and be like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> Rescinded. Stay out there, you weirdo. Um, New York Comic Con. And our panel is with Bex, who's often a guest with you. And it's actually her panel. I don't know why mm-hmm. I gave myself credit. I am going to be a guest on her panel, which is about using fandom in uh, higher ed. So fandom in the classroom and fan culture and fan products in the classroom. But Instead of the focus on like middle school and high school, which is awesome because there's been a lot of that, it's it's a bunch of us nerdy college professor people. Yeah, awesome. and that's sometime Thursday. Forget like one thirty in the back alley behind a tent. No, I mean it's like I think it's a library where they do all the knock three the, times. Like, yeah, <laughs> you the code word. And the, the password is Finn Whitrock. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Well, go back and listen to our sex education episode. At the end of that, uh, Bex does give more information about the exact oh. day and time. <laughs> I know it's Thursday. I know it's one thirty. Okay, I I just don't remember where. I know it's a library. I know it's in New York City with Colonel. If you can't find it from there. You are fucked, and just stay home. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, but anyway, congratulations on that. And, Thank you. <laughs> and other things. And we're going to have, um, well, Tanya is going to be back for Justified, but we're going to have Tanya back in November as well with an interview. So it'll be totally different. Everybody knows how my interviews go. I'm actually very, I'm always very proud of my interviews. I toot my horn on them because I have gotten so many people tell me how much they love being interviewed by me. Oh, so hopefully- good. Yeah. I've had people tell me it's the best interview they've ever done. Are you going to make me cry? Like, are you like Barbara going to Barbara? <laughs> I haven't, Barbara I don't think I've made anyone cry yet. So, but now I'm, now I'm determined. I'm Damn gonna it. Make Tanya oh. cry. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be different. I'll probably swear less if I can help it. I hope I was a little wild tonight. Cause like I said, isolation will do that to you. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Like yeah. I said, I've interviewed people and they have sworn up a storm well not up a storm but they have <laughs> sworn as well so yes nice yes so look forward to that too so everybody mm-hmm. so i'm i'm excited to interview tanya it's be totally different kind of conversation but go listen to my interviews i'm pretty darn proud of my interviews like i said before so i actually care about the stuff people are there to talk about i'll actually read the books i'll actually watch the movies because I know some interviewers don't do that. I've heard that from people I've interviewed. That's <laughs> and tough. I, yeah. They, they don't do their research. And yeah. So that doesn't make, I, to me, it's like, it's not, you're not making the person that's a guest feel comfortable, in my opinion. You're not going to have as good of an interaction when people have to do tons of interviews. And if they've done the hundreds, you want to kind of set yourself apart. That's just my opinion. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. On TikTok. Yes, I put a new TikTok up today. 
uh, <laughs> at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. And if you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, any of the cast members from this show, any of the creators, please feel free to reach out to us. Head on over to our website, it's a fandomthingpod.com. Click the contact us button and that'll shoot us an email and I will reach out to you. Um, and also while you're on the website, you can play the listener version of Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock, where we want you to connect Finn to four shows or movies that we have actually done episodes on. So you can also listen to the episodes by clicking on the names there. So you head to the page on our website called Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock. Really <laughs> easy to remember there. <laughs> and this for this month for September, but this will change every month. We are playing with uh, Superstore, which Bex was on Superstore. We're playing with Superstore. We're playing with we're playing with Scare Me. We're playing with a uh, um, promising young woman, and then I'm forgetting um, the other BoJack Horseman. So those are the four that we are playing with. So just tell us how Finn is connected to those shows and movies in six degrees or less for a chance to win some merch. And then also while you're over there, sign up for our horror trivia event, which is starting in October. Uh, but yes, but head on over to the second annual horror trivia event page there, get more information, sign up to become a contestant. They are a ton of fun. We'll do them on YouTube and Facebook. They're not podcast episodes. So you could win some prizes. You will automatically get a little goodie bag with some podcast stickers and stuff in it. If you register and do the $5 suggested donation, which all of that money goes to a good cause. So, yep. So sign up there for more information. So thanks again, Tanya. But our next episode will be justified. <laughs> It'll be justified. Whatever happens, whatever hat comes on, whatever outfit I'm wearing, it's justified. Yes. <laughs> And that'll be our next podcast episode, too. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.